radio advertising is good, why should you advertise on the Tan Talk Radio Network, AM 1340? Well, it's simple. We are a local radio station with local shows that target our local communities and local listeners. We have a variety of shows that cover a multitude of informative and interesting topics, such as automotive and boating, real estate and finance, health and medical, politics and law, sports and fishing, pet care, and more. Why, we are even home to Imus in the Morning. We also have shows about comedy, food and dining, religion, fashion, local community events and activities, and a variety of music. Talk radio provides a listening format that appeals to a large cross-section of people. Whether you are in your car, at work, at home, everyone has a radio. And we are streamed live on the Internet. And past shows are podcasted so you, the listener, can play back your favorite shows over and over again. The possibilities are endless. So that, my listeners, is why you should advertise on the Talk Radio Network, AM 1340. Listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years' experience with classic, vintage sport and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years' experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, Inc., 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72 plus another nine-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. The Dodson 510 you're looking at has endured more than four and a half years of this at the Bob Bondurant School of High Performance Driving, Ontario Motor Speedway. If a Datsun 510 with minor modifications can take this kind of abuse that long, who knows how long a new 510 will last out there. Drive a Datsun, then decide. Hey, listeners, welcome, and you are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, okay? This is uh, someday going to be the greatest show, radio show on Earth. We're working towards that. Anyway, I want to welcome everybody to the show this evening, and if you want, run to your computers and go to, I'll say, what is it, Tantalk1340.com, and you can get us live on the Internet. We are streamed worldwide, okay? Of course, if you want to send us an email... Email us at gmail or golfstreamradio at gmail.com. That's golfstreamradio at gmail.com. Hey, we got a great show for you tonight. We got some cool music, and we have a really, really, really fascinating guest this evening. 
Okay, so, uh, hey, Lee, how you doing? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? Pretty good. I hey, you're doing well. I hung out at Amelia Island this weekend, and I saw, I ran into Stewie and Jimmy from Maximum oh, yeah? Motoring. So what do they, uh, what do they act like uh, when the show's over? Uh, they're pretty civil. Pretty civil. Really? I'll, let, I'll, I'll let them go into detail pretty tomorrow sober. on their show at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon on the same station, right? You were there for the weekend, though? I was there for the weekend, yeah. We all had media passes, so we were all kind of hung oh, out. Oh, hey, see? See? Yeah. So yeah. you got media passes? Uh, uh, hmm. We got media passes. Free food? Uh, there were some, 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 mun- there were some munchies. Yeah, there were beverages. Just a few little, what, bag of yeah. chips and all yeah. that? You know what? I was too busy uh, running around checking out all the cool cars, the auctions. I went to the Gooding auction. I went to the uh, RM auction. What would it cost to get in? What would it have cost to get in there? Uh, it would have probably, the auction, it's, uh, they varied. I think they weren't that much. They were maybe $15, $20 a day. So that times okay. two. Uh, but the, you got media passes, so you got like full access. Yeah, we were covered. But I'll tell you what, the most interesting thing it's was. It's like backstage passes at a concert. Pretty much. But right. the the most interesting thing was the people, the caliper people, the fascinating, interesting automotive go. People for me, you get the, to rub elbows with with the big automotive well, uh, uh, kahunas. There was legendary people there. The people that when I was a kid growing up in California, that I used to just read about in magazines, or I would read their articles. Some of them, I mean, for example, there was Denise McCluggage. Okay, she's been writing automotive. Uh, she's been involved in automotive journalism for since the fifties. Okay, not to mention she was a racer, a lady racer. She raced Porsche. She raced Jaguar. She raced. Uh, Oscars, all kinds of cool those, stuff. Those are the kind of people you need to get on the show. Right? Uh, she's uh, she's like on the writers, list. Writers, journalists. Absolutely. Brock Yates, authors. he was there. Um, Dean Jeffries. And Dean Jeffries did you get come, to say hi? I said hi to everybody. I said hi to a lot of people. That's I spent cool. most of my time saying hi to people. Did you, did you give out cards and stuff? Uh, you know what? I handed out a few that I had. I should have taken more, but I did, I, I did, I did pretty... Oh, yeah. But the most interesting thing was, was the... Um, the, and I urge everybody, if you get a chance to go to Amelia Island, Amelia, everybody's familiar with, or a lot of people are familiar with Pebble Beach. That's out in California. And uh, the next best thing, and probably someday, if I had to guess, short of the racing, Amelia Island surpasses uh, Pebble Beach in terms of an overall concourse and a weekend event, a three-day event. because the, Florida rocks, right? Florida's it really good. does. I mean, Bill Warner, who was also a guest on our show a couple of weeks ago, did a spectacular job putting the show on. The seminars that they had, they had three seminars. They had one on uh, people that were participating in the Cannonball. They had uh, the ladies of racing, the women of racing, which uh, that was Denise McCluggage, it was Janet Guthrie, it was uh, Judy Stropus, it was uh, Lynn St. James, and she was the moderator. And then two, new girl, two uh, younger girls that were involved in racing. Then they had uh, Hot Rodders, and that's where I met Jean, Dean Jeffries. And, of course, you remember the... Bat- the uh, the original Green Hornet car yeah, from the TV yeah. show. Well, well, he, de- yeah, I, he designed that. The Monkey Mobile, because I'm sure you're a big Monkeys fan like most people were yeah, back the in the day. I think I had the okay. model of that. Yeah, and the silhouette. And, and a whole host of other cars. As a matter of fact, our, our, one of our regulars that comes on the show, Dr. Dan Dembski, okay? Right. When he was out there in California at uh, Custom, Custom, whatever, Custom Car or something, it was the name of his company, he hung out with Dean Jeffries and Gene Winfield and George Barrison and all those guys. So this is all that Southern California car culture. Bruce Myers was there. Bruce Myers is well-known in the classic car world. Um, I mean, the, the list of people. Bruce Canepa was there. Um, and a couple of race car drivers. Vic Elford. Vic Elford is world-renowned. Okay, He's in the same league as Brian Redman, who's been on our show. So there were some very, very, very talented and interesting so people. So you were there all weekend? Or? I was there all weekend, yeah. And cool. uh, you know what? I, 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 this is the first time I did a three-day gig. Usually I just go up on a Sunday for the, uh, uh-huh. 
for the um, concourse. But I tell everybody, if you can, if you can make this event, the caliber of people, the, the type of event, the venue, the seminars, everything, it was well worth the time. If you're a true car enthusiast, you cannot pass up an opportunity to go to Amelia Island. And on that note, what do we have fired up on, that, uh, on our vintage uh, radio this evening? Well, we've got uh, this song I used to listen to all the time. You, you? you picked it, though. Did I? Glad by Traffic. I think it's the opening cut on the album John Barleycorn Must Die, which sounds like... Is, well, since St. Since, since Patty's Day is tomorrow, you know, in honor of the Irish. The Barleycorn's Irish, isn't it? Or is it Scottish? It's Irish? Is it Scottish? I don't know. Barleycorn? It's kind of a... I don't know. All right, well, let's fire it up. Let's, let's hear it. Okay. Let's anyway, let it's it roll. A good song. It's okay. an instrumental. Sure. All right. You want to play it? Yeah, absolutely. It's R- kind of jazzy. Right, right now? Right now. Right this minute. Right to right. push the button. Immediately? Yes. Boom. Hit the button. Let's right. go. <laughs> you're, you're sure? I'm positive. <laughs> you're going to kill me. All right. Here we go. <laughs>
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'd like to tell you about Naughty Nancy. No, this isn't a story about a bad girl. This is a truth about a great place to eat and hang out. Naughty Nancy's Food Shack, located at 700 Eldridge Street in the downtown Clearwater area, is a quaint little place nestled under some huge oak trees serving great food and drink and a wonderful, friendly atmosphere. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. They have 10 daily specials as well as many different styles of cooking from Cajun, New England, Country Gourmet, and even Short Order, prepared just the way you want it. So check out this groovy little dew drop in right on the trail. So jog up to her front door, ride up on your bicycle, drive up in your car, or pull up on your motorcycle. And visit my friend Nancy and place your order. That's Naughty Nancy's, 727-446-3717. Hey, mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars and you might get a free drink. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. All right, we're back. We're live here at the Tantalk Radio Network. Actually, it's Nostalgic Radio and Cars at the Tantalk Radio Network, network right? <laughs> well, you got to have your own network. So. i got to have my own network. So nostalgic Radio and Cars Network. Hey, I, I want right. to give everybody a quick rundown of what's going on this weekend. We have this weekend, actually starting today, it's Sebring 12 Hours. Okay, I think this is the 40th. No, it's not. I'm just sure. But anyway... Uh, well, for some of the drivers, it's the 40th anniversary of running there in, since 1971, okay? And that's a, that's today, tomorrow, Saturday, yeah. So, hey, Sebring's a big deal. they got vintage races. they got, uh, well, there's various types of racing. There's uh, basically um, sports car racing. There's going to be some, the big grant, the, uh, the, uh, the road racing is going on with some prototype cars and some GT cars and all kinds of cool stuff. There's going to be a lot of celebrities. There's going to be fun and games there, all kinds of cool stuff they got, concessions. Don't forget to check out the uh, Sebring Museum. Uh, also, we got Rats and Rods at Big Daddy's. That's up in, uh, uh, so where is that? That's Dunellen, I guess, or up there, Bellevue, excuse me. Um, that's up here in North Florida, just south of Ocala. That's Rats and Rods with Big Daddy. We got the Bradyton Motorsports Muscle Car Nationals this weekend. That's at uh, Bradyton Motorsports in Sarasota. Actually, it's not Sarasota. It's Bradyton, of course. And don't forget, I want to say a big shout-out and hello to my friends. This Saturday, every third Saturday of the month, we have Cars and Coffee, which is put on by the DuPont Registry. And it's over there on Tech Drive, right off Almerton Road in Clearwater. That's Cars and Coffee. It's from 7 in the morning till 9. And, of course, everybody... uh, converges on Cracker Barrel shortly thereafter. Okay, so if you want to see a couple hundred to two to three hundred really, really cool cars and again, some really interesting people, be sure and check out uh, DuPont's Cars and Coffee this this Saturday at seven o'clock. Okay, hey, a big shout out to my friends over there, Cop Cars Online. Uh, that's to uh, my friend John and Mark. Give them a call over there if you want a really cool squad car or squad truck or something that you might need. 
And their number is 727-536-2677. That's 727-536-2677. And James, over there, for working on my truck this week, I'm going to give you a big plug, okay? If you need a really good mechanic that's reasonable, that's proficient, that's ASE, ASAE, ASE certified. I get that screwed up all the time. But anyway, hey, it's live radio. Anything can happen. Anyway, his number is 727-215-9537. That's 727-215-9537. And Naughty Nancy's Open Mic Night. Give her a call. 446-3717. That's 446-3717. No, 446-3717. I'll get it straight one I leave. Anyway, hey, she's got an open mic night tonight. She's got a big party tomorrow night and Thursday. She's got, which I guess that's St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, right? And then they got some... Yeah, right. Yeah, 17th is tomorrow. Okay, so they have all the green beer and all the other cool stuff for all you guys that like to drink green beer and think you're Irish and want to be Irish. You know, and you know, maybe you're Irish. You know what I like about uh, St. Patrick's Day? What? The green puke. <laughs> oh, God, come on, Lee. Fair me. Anyway, okay, and then she's got a big party going on on Friday and her big anniversary party on Saturday. Okay, so give Naughty Nancy's a call. 727-446-3717. Make your reservations now, okay, for her anniversary weekend special. All right. Hey, what else we got? We, uh, I think I covered it pretty quick there, didn't I? Hey, let's fire up that other song, and then uh, we'll, uh, what else we got? We got something else. Now, you know what? A lot of times when I play these songs and some of these commercials, they're all relevant to whoever my upcoming special guest is. I try to, when I put these shows together, I try to, uh, you know, kind of kind of try to accommodate them a little bit. So if you're wondering why my shows, why I play certain music, or why I do commercials, or why I play clips from movies and stuff like that, because they're all relevant. Okay, and I hope you guys enjoy it. If you want, again, send me an email at golfstreamradio at gmail. Excuse me. <clears throat> I am going hoarse. Golfstreamradio at gmail.com. All right, let's fire up that uh, vintage radio and see what else we got on that, uh, that old 78.
listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radium Cars. I'd like to tell you about a great place to eat right on the main part of Clearwater Beach. Located at 333 South Gulfview Boulevard. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill has two floors of food, drink, and fun. They have daily specials, happy hour, and nightly entertainment. Their menu caters to seafood lovers as well as land lovers. Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill, 727-608-2065. They're open in the morning for breakfast until 1 a.m. So stop by and visit my friends, Turtle, Eddie, and Polly, and all the girls and staff at Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill. That's 727-608-2065. Mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you never know. You might get a free drink. That's Crabby's Beachwalk Bar and Grill on Clearwater Beach, 727-608-2065. Hey, listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. As most of you know, I'm in the car business, and often I need cars towed. Well, Kotaka's Towing has all the trucks and equipment to meet your needs. Whether it's long distance, short distance, or just around the corner, they can get it done. Kotaka's Towing, located at 1141 Court Street in Clearwater. Also, they have a full-service repair and body shop to meet all your automotive needs. So give my friends Lefty and Joey a call at Kotaka's Towing at 727-447-1952. And be sure to mention Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you might get a discount. Hi, I'm John Morton. And this is the 240Z we've won so many races with. Now, this one's been specially modified for racing. But many of the features that make this car a champion on the racetracks also make it an excellent performer on the street. Power, for instance. There's a 2.4-liter overhead cam engine up there, and it really moves out. The handling is special, too, with fully independent rear suspension. And the Datsun has big disc brakes up front. When you're going this fast, I wouldn't have it any other way. Best of all, Datsun is more than just a fine racing machine. It's a luxurious GT car with all the trimmings. After all, there's more to life than winning races. We're back, and this is uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. You know, Lee, I dig music. That's one of the reasons why I play music all the time. Anyway. And so it, you need I, a music show, too? I know, I should. I probably should. I should become a disc jockey, right? At any rate, let me tell you a little bit about my guest, my special guest for the evening. I can say uh, that I have actually known this gentleman for quite some time. I guess the first time I met him was in 1995 when we were in Atlanta at a National Shelby Convention. He was signing autographs, and I had the very, very... Wonderful opportunity of sitting in and talking to him for a few minutes. And then again, we were at Lime Rock, and then again at Lime Rock, and then at subsequent various Shelby meets. But let me tell you about this gentleman. This guy is an extremely gifted, talented, fascinating individual. He is the youngest designer that ever worked at General Motors at the age of 19. Okay, He penned the original Stingray body. Okay, He is responsible for the only American-made car that won the World Manufacturer's Championship, which is a Daytona 500, or excuse me, the Daytona Coupe, okay? He has been a legendary driver, and he also ran and operated his own racing team. He was even involved in the Cannonball Run, okay? And without keeping him any longer on the phone, because the suspense is killing me too, I would like to welcome my friend Pete Brock to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Pete, are you there? Hey, we're here. You're here. Okay. How you doing? 
We're doing good. We've been out at uh, Sebring Track all day long. We're down here for the weekend. Uh-huh. Uh, looking forward to the 12-hour race this weekend. It's going to be all time. Wow. This brings back a lot of memories. Oh, absolutely. Uh, first time I came down here was in 1957. We were running the uh, prototype SS Corvette, and uh, we started really making history with the small block. Now, when you did the, the SS Corvette, was uh, you, were you partially involved in the design of that car with uh, Zora Dundoff? Well, that was Zora car uh, with Harley Earl. Oh, okay. Uh, I was just a junior designer at that time and had not yet uh, started working on the Stingray, but the... Uh, they built two of them, and one of them was the official uh, GM show car, and the other one was called a Mule. It was a development car, and that car ended up being buy- bought by uh, Vice President of Design, uh, Bill Mitchell, and he bought it for $1, and then we designed the uh, Stingray Racer on top of that chassis, and that eventually turned into the Stingray Corvette. Now, tell us a little bit how you got involved with General Motors. You originally were s- scheduled to go to Stanford University, which is one of the most well-known Ivy League schools on the West Coast in California, in the Bay Area. And then you uh, took a little trek down to the uh, Art Institute. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the uh, Art Center College is, uh, was in Los Angeles, and it was the only country, uh, place in the country at that time, or in the world, really, that you could uh, study automotive design. And that's really what I uh, was most interested in, but I had never been down there, so I started out uh, going to Stanford thinking I was going to take an engineering degree. And then uh, on Easter vacation, I drove down to uh, Southern California and uh, walked into Art Center College of Design and knew that that's really was the place that I wanted to go to school. So uh, I quit Stanford and started at Art Center College of Design. Now, it's an interesting story how you got in there. Why don't you go ahead and share that with us? Uh, it was kind of interesting because the I didn't even know anything about Art Center College of Design at the time, and it's really a, it's kind of a finishing school for uh, professionals in all areas of uh, of commercial art. You're an illustrator or a, um, a transportation design, which is what uh, automotive design comes in, or product design, or photography, or graphics, uh, any of the any of the commercial art fields. Uh, this is where you go to school after you've been in business for a while and you want to, you know, really get uh, polished. So I, I had no idea that. All I did was walk in the place and look at some of the examples of uh, art on the wall and said, boy, this is this is where I want to go to school. And I, I had no art background at all, really. And so I walked up to the, uh, the desk and I said, I want to go to school here. And they said, well, uh, uh, let's see your portfolio. You know, I didn't even know what a portfolio was. I said, what's that? Oh, and they said, well, this is a school for professionals, and you have to come in and show some examples of your work, and uh, then we'll see if uh, if you qualify, and then uh, if you qualify, we'll, uh, we'll admit you to school. So I went outside in my car in my three-ring binder, you know, with the, with the blue lines on it, the way I draw, drew cars when I was in study hall at school, and sketch furiously for a couple of hours and walk back in and hand them the papers and said, oh, is Willis do? <laughs> and they, they just smiled. They just thought I was out of my mind. But I, I really talked my way in there, and uh, uh, I just uh, I fell in love with the place. It was, it was great. I've never worked as hard in my entire life as I did uh, going to school there. I mean, it was up 
every night until, you know, 11 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the morning finishing the next day's homework because they really work you hard there. But it was a great education, and uh, it paid off. Now, how is it that you got plucked out of there and you wound up at General Motors at the ripe old age of age 19? Well, I didn't have quite enough money to uh, finish school, and uh, my parents were paying for uh, for school, and they were uh, very much against, uh, you know, sort of being an artist, you know, and wanted me to go back to uh, go back to college, and uh, I didn't want to go back, so I uh, ran out of money, and I had met one of the uh, headhunters from General Motors at that time. Uh, Chuck Jordan, who later became the vice president of design at General Motors, but at that time he was just a young guy, one of the rising execs there, and he was his job was uh, headhunting to do talent out of our center, and he'd come every, uh, every couple of semesters and talk to the guys who were about to graduate, and so he'd always go through some of the uh, the younger students' work as well, and I got to know him, and, and uh, so when I realized I didn't have enough money to finish school, I. I put in a long-distance call to Chuck and said, hey, I'm, I'm out of money. <laughs> Can I come back to work for you now? And uh, they sent me a ticket. And the next day I was in Detroit and interviewing for the job, and they hired me. Super. Now, you had a special relationship with Harley Earl. Tell us a little bit about that. Or was it Bill Mitchell? Well, both of them. Uh, Harley Earl was the guy that really invented uh, American automotive design. He was a giant in the industry. And he was about to retire, and uh, Bill Mitchell was his uh, hand-picked choice. So I was there just at that transitional period when uh, Harley Earl was leaving and uh, Bill Mitchell was starting. So I got to do a special project with uh, Mr. Earl, who was a uh, very imperious, uh, uh, very well-respected uh, in the company and never spoke to anybody uh, in the design staff. Uh, it was just his method of, of working. He would uh, go through the offices with his uh, retinue of uh, vice uh, 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 support guys, that, and he would talk to them, and then they would talk to the designers and uh, point out what uh, he wanted to do as far as direction and design. But uh, So I, I thought he was like a person that you never spoke to. But uh, I happened to be working in there one night because, uh, being single, I, I loved working there. I'd stay late there and work at night just because I loved working there. And he walked in, and he turned out to be just the nicest guy that uh, you could imagine and very friendly and was interested in what a 19-year-old kid would have to say about uh, design and where the company was going and whatever. And I you know, was uh, naive enough, I guess, to give him my opinions of where we were going in terms of uh, design and he became sort of intrigued with what I had to say and uh, gave me a neat project to do. I had, I had thought that uh, with the economy of scale that General Motors had that we should design a car for students, and it would be a very inexpensive little tiny car that you could run around the campus and, you know, have a top speed of maybe 65 mile an hour, you know, it would get you down the road if you wanted to, but mainly it was uh, something you could park anywhere on campus. You know, you didn't have to have a full-size parking spot or anything like that and be very inexpensive to run, and students would take care of it if you had to. It's very easy to work on. So that became the project, and uh, we built a couple of actual full-size prototypes, and 
it almost came into production. Uh, the only thing was that the uh, chairman of the board, a guy named uh, Harlow Curtis, uh, looked at it and and said in a public meeting when they were uh, evaluating, he said, you know, we don't build small cars at General Motors. And uh, he had the power to shut the program off. And I feel that really if they'd gone ahead with that uh, program at that time, probably General Motors would have never been in the situation that they were here in the last couple of years because we would have been able to build small cars and compete with the Europeans and the Japanese. But um, executives in Detroit at that time didn't really uh, see the world much beyond the, uh, the city limits of Detroit. And the, the word was, you know, what, what we build is what everybody in the world will buy, and, and, and they will set the, the design standards. And, of course, that was not uh, a very enlightened point of view, and as was proven later uh, when we lost out uh, to the foreign manufacturers. So uh, it, it was very close, but uh, never happened. Now, you uh, was Larry Shinoda working there at uh, GM at the time with you? Absolutely, yeah. Larry was uh, one of my best friends there and uh, probably one of the greatest designers that ever worked uh, at General Motors. And uh, it was very interesting uh, in, in working on the uh, Corvette Stingray. I had done the uh, prototype design, and then when I completed that, uh, that went up to a special studio with Bill Mitchell. And then Larry was brought in to uh, take the lines off the prototype and turn that into the production car. And he did uh, all the lines on the production car. They're very, very similar, but um, he was limited by the amount of parts that were available uh, from Chevrolet because they couldn't afford to tool everything brand new. So many of the uh, internal parts on the chassis and the brakes and suspension were all uh, off-the-shelf parts. And uh, so the car got um, uh, commercialized a little bit, and Larry was responsible for that. So he did the uh, he did the production version of the Stingray, and I did the the uh, prototype uh, from which it came. Now, when you guys designed these cars, were you basically involved in the actual styling of the car, or did you also get involved in the mechanical aspect of it, too, and the suspension and, and things of that nature? Uh, the All the engineering was handled at that time by uh, GM Engineering. And if, if you had sort of a bent for engineering, uh, you could get involved in it to a certain extent that you understood what was going on, where all the hard parts uh, points were on the car, and... Uh, maybe help move some of those around if, if that had to be done that way. But uh, generally speaking, the uh, the design came from the top down. And in the case of the uh, Stingray, this was very much uh, Bill Mitchell's car. Uh, he was the vice president of design, and he directed the design. He, he gave us a brief of what he wanted it to be, and then uh, we would draw up uh, uh, sketches that uh, came along with his uh, ideas from those, what he liked best, and that uh, basically formed out. So we were kind of the grunts on the ground that did the pencil work, and he was the guy that kind of uh, waved his hands around and told us what he wanted. Now, you were telling me, too, that uh, the Corvette project almost died. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, many, many times uh, uh, the whole idea of uh, high-performance high uh, cars at General Motors was uh, anathema to... Uh, to the bean counters and the executives that, that ran General Motors, you know, the old saying is that uh, we're not in the car business, we're in the business to make money. So anything that uh, looked like it might uh, not make money or cost them a lot of money, like any racing or high-performance program, was something that people uh, 
that had the power within the corporation were down on. And uh, the Corvette program was always at risk because it was uh, driven by the passion of the engineers and the designers who wanted to make the world's best car. And, uh, and it was countered by the guys who wanted to make money. So uh, anytime one developed something that was uh, faster and better and more economical and safer uh, versus something that had already been done, it could be turned out uh, cheaply. Uh, there was always butting heads. And the guys that uh, controlled the money had the power. And uh, so sometimes the Corvette program came very canceled out. And unfortunately, it did not get canceled out. And now the Corvette is probably one of the finest engineered cars in the world. I was going to ask you, what do you think of the modern-day Corvette, the ZR1 and some of the other? Uh, uh, you, there isn't a better car in the world. Really? For the money, uh, it is the finest engineered car uh, underneath uh, that you can imagine. It's just It has everything that uh, a modern automobile really needs. And I've often said if they took the same engineering Corvette and uh, designed the sedans, uh, they'd have a car that could be the best of anything out of Europe or Japan. And I think they're going more and more toward that. They're beginning to see that uh, what they've learned in uh, engineering with the Corvette program, the guys that are passionately interested in making better cars, uh, is finally uh, is paying off. And, and we, right now we're, we're building some of the finest cars America's ever seen. Um, let's go back to... Uh... Um, when you left General Motors, you worked at General Motors for a while, and then you decided uh, you're going to head back to the West Coast. Tell us a little bit about that, and then the, 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 the your, your. Uh, I guess this is. I guess this would be the, the the biggest high point in your career. The your next move, wasn't it? Well, my main thing is that I wanted to be a race driver. Uh, that was really my my goal in life. But at that time, to get your license in SCCA, you had to be 21, and Going into GM uh, at, at the age of 19, I still had a, some time left, so I wanted to be involved in, in uh, automotive uh, business that had some engineering uh, that was devoted toward performance. And in 1957, at that time, they had what they call the AMA ban, the American Manufacturers Association, ban all high performance. And they stopped all sorts of racing every uh the big three initiated it uh, because, again, the suits felt that there was too much money being spent on uh, performance automobiles. And they even cut off things like the mobile gas economy run, which was uh, directed to make cars uh, more fuel efficient. But even that program was cut off. I was rather disillusioned with it all and uh, didn't want to spend my life just being a designer, so I headed back to California. Uh, I bought a used race car, and I was rebuilding it and went back out to California and uh, worked in a garage out there and, and met several people that were involved in racing and uh, continued my career in racing. Well, then you made a move to this other guy. Tell us a little bit about this well-known gentleman, Mr. Carroll Shelby. How would you get involved with that? Well, I was working at that time in Los Angeles. I was working in a shop for... Uh, a guy named Max Balchowski, who was a very famous uh, racer in the West Coast scene. And Carroll had just won, uh, Carroll Shelby had just won in 1959. It was the high point in his driving career. 
and he wanted to retire uh, kind of on top with uh, American Racing. And at that time, USAC, which is the, uh, the sanctioning that ran the Indianapolis race, uh, was also running professional road racing as opposed to the uh, SCCA, the Sports Car Club of America, which was totally amateur. So they began putting on some of the professional sports car races in the United States, and Carroll wanted to finish up uh, with the championship, with the USAC championship in 1960, and he made a deal with Max Belchowski to drive one of his special uh, race cars, which we call the Old Yellers. They were uh, Buick Powers. And Carroll drove that car uh, to the uh, USAC championship in 1960. But being in the shop there, I got to know him fairly well. And at that time, he was thinking about uh, setting up a driving school. And to make a long story short, I ended up running the driving school for him and uh, hired later hired a guy named Bob Bondurant, uh, who was uh, at that time also a driver for us with the Cobra team. And Bob took over the school. Uh, I went on to design the Daytona Cobras for Carroll in the World Championship. And uh, Bob's still running the school today. Uh, it's probably the best-known driving school in the country or in the world. Now, tell us a little bit about the, the how the Daytona Coupe, how its inception uh, came to be. Well, the Daytona Cobra was a, an interesting... Uh, uh, it was really the high point of, of, of the whole Shelby American uh, program because the initial cars that came in that were built by Shelby American were built in England on AC chassis and bodies, and they came into the United States, and we put uh, American Ford high-performance V8 engines in them. They became the Cobra engines. And then later on, uh, when Ford Motor Company took over the whole company, all the cars were designed at Ford. So the interim period of designing the Daytona Cobra, which was designed to compete against Ferrari for the World Championship in Europe, was the only car that was really designed at Shelby American uh, pretty much from the ground up. And uh, only six of these cars were built, and they were built specifically to challenge Ferrari for the world championship. And there were other people involved. Jaguar was involved, and Aston Martin was involved, as was Maserati. So uh, it, was a, it was a real major international event. And it was, it was really very interesting because uh, we had kind of a very, very small but very talented team in California that built these cars. We were eight to ten guys that put this whole program together. And we were going over to compete against uh, the world champion, which was Ferrari, who, of course, was a mammoth factory of, you know, several hundred guys. And we were able to beat them with a a production engine car and a uh, Cobra chassis body that I had designed for them. Wow, that's great. Hey, by the way, just to go uh, digress just for a second, I stopped by to see Tweety this afternoon. Now, for our listeners' information, Tweety used to be the factory team car Team race car painter is that true? That's pretty much what his job yeah, description was. One of the guys that did all the special painting for our, our team, and uh, he was always trying to come up with a, a better shade of blue for us. A better the shade. Special color was guardsman blue, but he never liked that color, and he always kept remixing it and trying to make it better. He was just a a master artist on paint. Well, anyway, I stopped by, and I, I told him about the radio show, and I told him you'd be on there. So uh, hopefully, Tweety, you're listening, and if you are, uh, uh, take care of yourself, and uh, we'll stop by and see you again, and maybe we'll take you to the races sometime. And Pete, why don't you give uh, Tweety a big hello? 
Absolutely, Tweety. Hope to see you again sometime. And uh, always think of the great stuff that you did for the team. Okay. Hey, let's move on uh, to uh, BRE, okay, which is Brock Racing Enterprise. So after you guys clinched the Manufacturers Championship in 1965, you hung out for Carroll Shelby for a while, and then you went out and decided to do your own thing. So you, you formed basically Brock Racing Enterprises. And you actually have a website to that effect, too, right, Pete? That's right. Uh, BRE2.net will get you onto the website, and you can see all the cards and the history of uh, what we've done. But uh, what was really interesting is that in, in some ways we were a Thorn and Ford side um, because we were competing against the car that they wanted to build, and they had put millions of dollars in, and that was the GT40. And that program was run by the uh, Holman Moody outfit here in the southeast who were their, the main racing team Ford, and they were the, the big name in uh, stock car racing for Ford. So naturally, Ford put most of their money with them. These guys weren't really uh, road racers, and uh, they were primarily into NASCAR. So they weren't really, really as, as sharp uh, as they could have been as we were on the West Coast who were devoted to road racing. And when Ford saw that after they moved the GT40 program over to Carroll Shelby, but part of the uh, program, they would cut off the Cobra program. So that was the end of the Cobras, and that killed off the... Uh, Daytona Coops and the Roadsters as well. Okay, and then that's uh, and then that, is that when you left, and that was what nineteen sixty six something like that, right about that uh, time sixty six sixty seven. Yeah, just about the time nineteen sixty five, and I uh, formed my own company BRE and uh, began racing uh, Japanese cars actually. And tell us about the little Japanese car that you got involved with. Well, I started out uh, racing a little car from Japan that nobody's ever heard of over here because they're no longer in business. they At that time, they were a, uh, a little tiny division company that built trucks and buses in Japan called Hino, H-I-N-O. And there was a, a small division that was interested in building a high-quality car. And uh, I got involved with them uh, trying to develop that car. And they eventually invited me over to Japan and uh, do some design work for it. Uh, teach them basically how to hop the car up and race it, because in Japan there's a pecking order with all the uh, all the factories, and in Japan their culture is that you don't want to lose face by um, being beaten by another factory. Every factory has their own team, but they won't race against the other factories because they lose and lose face. So what they do is they support privateers to run against, and they can beat the privateers, and of course then they can win. And uh, so it's a very culturally structured type of racing over there. But also they're very, very talented. They've moved up in the world. And, of course, Honda got into Formula One racing and did very well. And now, you know, Nissan came along and uh, did very well as, as well over several years as well as Toyota. So they've each had uh, a high point in racing. So you got involved with uh, Datsun after that, right? So tell us about the well, Datsun, Datsun 510s. And, uh... Datsun was, yeah, Datsun was the, uh, the American name for Nissan Motor Corporation at that time. We began to race that car in uh, 1969 and won uh, the Pacific Coast Division Championship against Porsche and Triumph with it. And then the following year, they came in with a Model 240C, and uh, John Morton was our driver. And we went on uh, two national championships with John and the 240Z, and then after that, we 
sedan to race the 510 sedan, the little two-door sedan. And, and the big thing then was we were against uh, Alfa Romeo. And uh, the uh, Alfa Romeo, of course, was a big thing. And, of course, uh, the BMWs. So that was kind of a three tag team thing that we went into and it was a very hot fought all of the United States in the 2.5 uh, liter uh, Trans Am professional series and we ended up winning that uh, two years in a row and everybody else gave up and wouldn't race against us so we pretty much raced ourselves out of a series and that was the end of it. <laughs> I don't know if you caught it but I did play a little uh, I found on uh, one of those uh Internet deals, a old vintage commercial with uh, John Morton driving the 240Z. Did you catch that? I, I caught the last part of that just before we came on. It was hilarious. But yeah. it, everything he said was true. You know, John was, uh, he was probably one of the best American drivers of that era. Wow. Hey, we've got a few minutes left, but what I'd like to get into, and, and Pete, I want to thank you again for coming on the radio show, and it's not something we can cover in half an hour, so I'm going to definitely have to invite you to come back again. You willing to come back again? Yeah, if we're down here in this area, that'd be wonderful. Well, we could actually do it over the phone. We can do it out there, because and, and, uh, you're living in uh, Washington State right now, right? Right, yeah. Do you have phone lines that reach all the way out? Yeah, well, well I'll give you a 10. <laughs> when I see you at Sebring this weekend, I'll give you a 10 can, and we'll see how long that string is, and maybe I can uh, reach you out there. But anyway, yeah, tell us a little bit about... Out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, stretch it out, right? Tell us a little about the Cannonball Run, because uh, I, I was very fortunate to sit there, and, and I really, truly enjoyed the uh, seminar this weekend at uh, Amelia Island. And uh, so tell us a little bit about that and how much of it was actually carried over to the movie, your little costume that you guys had. Well, a cannonball um, was started by an editor of uh, Car and Driver magazine, a guy named Brock Yates. And at that time, the, uh, uh, the national uh, speed limit lowered to 55 miles an hour with the uh, so-called intent of making our roads safer and saving fuel. And, of course, uh, trying to run trucks at 55 mile an hour, everybody could get where they were going in the time that they were supposed to, and it was a very uneconomical thing, and it was just a very, very bad decision. And uh, in order to uh, prove that people could uh, run across the United States uh, at, at high speeds very safely the way they do in Europe, uh, at that time, there were uh, most of the roads in Europe, for example, on the high-speed roads didn't have any speed limits at all. And uh, Brock Yates and Car and Driver wanted to prove the American public that uh, we have roads as good as any in the, in the world and that uh, we could drive across them at high speeds and very safely. So he uh, organized a, basically an underground race uh, that was... Uh, attended mostly by people in the industry that uh, had some affiliation with manufacturers or marketing or advertising or whatever. Basically all people who knew how to drive or had uh, competition licenses. And the object was to leave uh, the Red Ball Garage in Manhattan and take any route that you wanted and uh, end up at the Portofino Inn in Redondo Beach in California. And you'd take your ticket that had been stamped at the Red Ball Garage and they would stamp your when you got into the uh, Portofino Inn in Redondo Beach in California, and the uh, the time between that would be uh, determined. And what was interesting is that uh, there was like an eight-hour window that you could to the Red Ball Garage. So they had kind of a great uh, party there for all of the people that were in the automotive business. All the advertising agency people were there, and the 
and the people from the factories or whatever, and the party went on all night, and you could leave at the beginning of the party or at the end of the party, an eight-hour window, and you could determine, you know, when you're going to go through the major cities in the United States so that you didn't get caught in traffic, and you could take any route that you wanted and drive anyway. So the only rule was that there are no rules. Hmm. And uh, so it was a wide open. It was a wide open race, but really, it wasn't a matter of high speed. It was that to do it as safely as possible. And in all the years that uh, this ran, nobody was ever injured. It was a, a. It was amazing that it happened. And of course, you couldn't do it today. There's just too much traffic and uh, way too much uh, in electronic enforcement. But I think that. Uh, Brock Gates and Car and Driver magazine proved that uh, the American highways were safe to travel at high speeds. So all these teams that uh, entered to figure out uh, how to get across the United States as fast as possible, they came up with all sorts of outrageous schemes uh, to travel across the United States. Uh, they came up with uh, diplomatic flags on the front of her limousine or something like that and would travel across the United States uh, posing as, uh, as, as diplomats. Hey, Pete, uh, I hate to cut yep. you off, let you know, but we're almost out of time. But I'll tell you what, save that story, hold that note, and when I get you back on okay. here, uh, we'll finish that story because I, I want everybody to sit there and hear the story about how you came up with your cool little uh, cool little costume there and you guys and, and some of your shenanigans that you came up with. But anyway, Pete Brock, I want to thank you for coming on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Stay in touch. I'll definitely see you this weekend at Sebring. And everybody else, I want to thank you for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We will be here next week at 8 o'clock. Stay safe, everybody. Drive carefully, and we'll see you then. Thank you.